quick note before we jump in, you are invited to jumpstart joy in 2020 with a live pivot podcast taping and joy of movement book launch party here in New York City. So if you live in the city, if you live in the area, or you just know somebody who does and wants to send them the invitation, please go to pivotmethod.com slash joy. The event is on Thursday, January 9th. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be on the Upper West Side. And I'm just so excited to partner with some incredible women to help launch Kelly McGonigal, two-time guest of the Pivot Podcast, help her launch her new book, Joy of Movement. We'll do a live podcast taping. Then you're going to get a movement session led by Nia Black Belt Trainer, Caroline Coles, accessible to all bodies to help us all experience gratitude, joy, and hope in community. And then DJ Petra, my dear friend and two-time Pivot Podcast guest, is going to bring us home with a dance party. You'll also walk out with a signed hardcover copy of Kelly's new book, The Joy of Movement, How Exercise Helps Us Experience Happiness, Hope, Courage, and Connection. So again, this is all happening on Thursday, January 9th. I would love for you to join us and be there for a live Pivot podcast and so much more. Just head to pivotmethod.com slash joy and you'll get all the details. And now back to today's show. What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. I am so thrilled to be here today with Laura Sims. Laura and I have been traveling side by side in parallel pivot paths and circles online for a very long time. And this is actually our first time connecting live. So we didn't even catch up before we hit record. We just said, we're going to throw it all into the show. <laughs> Laura is an expert in meaningful work who challenges conventional wisdom by asking people to ditch their passions and start with purpose. She's the creator of Your Career Homecoming, a celebrated career change program that helps people discover the meaningful work that's right for them. And you know, I love me a good contrarian. So <laughs> I can't wait to get into things. Laura's colorful career history includes a history degree, an MFA in acting, getting fired from a dream project, quitting multiple jobs, teaching undergraduate and graduate classes, and a successful career as an actor, where she worked on network television, performed in every state on the Eastern Seaboard, received multiple callbacks from Cirque du Soleil, and shared a sound booth with Sandra O oh, of Grey's Anatomy fame. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so glad to talk with you. I feel like we should have been talking like way long ago. So I'm glad we're finally making it happen. <laughs> I know, but maybe 10 years ago would have been a good right. idea. <laughs> How long have you been doing your own thing now? Um, actually, it'll be nine years in January. So wow. yeah, Amazing. getting there. And I just have to ask you, Cirque du Soleil, are you serious? I tried to run away and join the circus, Jenny. They wouldn't have me, but, um, are you, but I got like, close. <laughs> are you bendy and strong enough to even try out for Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> Well, not so much in the Vindy and Strong category, but I was there for physical comedy. So doing their kind of um, clowning roles. So I auditioned in Los Angeles. They have kind of a scout, you know, in different cities. And so I auditioned for their scout in Los Angeles, went through a couple rounds of like, you know, performing original um, comedy routines. And then um, when they had like the big guns from Canada come down, I went through like two days of auditions with them. And um, it is the 
most intense and challenging audition situation I was ever in. Like loads of fun, but you know, you had to have prepared stuff and then they would put you on the spot and give you 15 minutes to prepare something. And then you perform it in front of the group. It was, I feel like if I can get through that audition, that's my, like, I can do anything in life (laughs) kind of moment. It was intense. Not just that audition, but I have so much respect for actors who the nature of the work is to go for so many auditions and never hear anything back. Like I just... How did you do it? How did you navigate that process of just constant, I don't know if you experienced constant rejection, but certainly that constant uncertainty of where your next job would come from? Yeah, I mean, you really have to do some Jedi mind training around this because otherwise, I mean, if, if you take it personally and you're like, I got rejected again, 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 you will quit. I mean, you just, you won't be able to get up and go do it again. So, you know, you really kind of have to frame it for yourself that like, okay, the audition itself is a chance to perform. It's a chance to practice the craft. It's a chance to, you know, be in front of a room and, and hopefully do some magic. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they're not going to hire you because really you didn't do a good job. And you could have done better. And that's your own, you know, that's your own thing. But a lot of times you're not getting the job because you were too tall or too short or the producer doesn't, you know, you remind him of their ex-wife. And so subconsciously you're not going to get like, there's all these things that have nothing to do with your performance that go into whether or not you get cast. And so really all you can really, um, you know, focus on and, and take credit for is, did I do the best performance that I could today? And so you kind of are evaluating each audition by that standard. And so if you didn't do your best, well, great. Now I know where I need to go do some more work. And if you did, then like, you just kind of have to say F it and go on to the next one because you can't, you have so little control over what they're looking for. And, and, you know, if you get the yes or not. That's such incredible resilience training for life and certainly entrepreneurship and careers as well. Yeah. I love what you said. I never had heard it put exactly that way, which is that treating the audition itself as an opportunity to perform and act. And that's not a means to an end. You can see it as a worthy and worthwhile event and time to practice in and of itself. Yeah. And something that's, that gets talked about, you know, in actor circles a lot is, um, you know, you always, you would love to go book the job. What is more important is that you book the room. So if you're not right for that particular role, hopefully they're going to remember you. And when another opportunity comes up that you'd be right for, they're interested enough to call you back. I've heard you know? so many people get success with that, even within companies. Yeah. They, they apply for a role, an internal transfer. They don't get it. And then they're discoverable. They're on that team's radar for the next thing. And then I've seen exactly. so many cool opportunities come that way. Yeah. So book the room, book the room. I love that. Maybe that will go in the title. (laughs) Tell us what is a career homecoming? Yeah. So I, I want people to have a career that, you know, feel well, you know, feels like home. Um, that feels like it's a natural extension of who they are, where you don't have to put on a mask or have this alter ego that goes to work. And then you're a separate person when you come home so that the best of who you are, you know, you feel like you get to show up and just be you, you know, for your work and, and your quirks and your humor and your strengths and all of that is part of it. And you don't have to go through this weird filter where, I'm one person at work and I'm one person somewhere else. And, um, it's, it's something that is also really gonna, I mean, it can challenge you, we hope, but also nourish you in a way, you know, and, and play this really important role in your life. It's not just clock in, clock out, get a paycheck, go home. 
One thing I see with a lot of career changers is fear and worry. So fear, well, I can't really show up as myself or be home because either that's not professional or it won't be welcome or people are going to judge me. But there's also anxiety that who said that exists or that that exists for me. And you're a lot more on the ground with your course and doing this work. So I'm curious, how do you help people stay hopeful that that's possible and even give themselves permission to believe that that's possible in what can often be very long job search processes that, and I don't want to assume that it's going to be long. It can also happen in a flash, but just like you described with the acting auditions, sometimes people go months without any real feedback and it's to no fault of their own. Right. You know, one of the things that I, I work with clients on from day one, you've already said the word is resilience. You know, how can I be the person I need to be to go out in the world and do this work? And part of that is just getting the job or starting the business. So understanding that there are certain things you do have influence and control over, but there are certain things that you don't and making sure that you're focusing on the things you can control and really not thinking, um, I, I truly believe that when you've, when you understand what you have to offer, what you have to contribute, how you want to make a difference, the value of that. And you can go out and seeking the right combination of who needs that and how am I going to fit in, you know, with a larger organization or helping solve a problem through a business. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so, okay, world, you want me to play the time game? We're going to see how long this takes. Fine. I will play that game, but I'm not going to bag it because one person said no, or 15 people said no, you know, I'm going to pursue this because this is my path. This is how I want to make a difference. And it's going to take as long as it takes. Now, in the meantime, like, you know, maybe we got to get a side job or maybe you got to do something else to get some income coming in. Um, but I just have, I have zero doubt that like when we get those internal things lined up about here's what I want and I can articulate it and all of that, it's just, it's figuring out the timing. I love that. And I'm often referencing to clients and friends, no matter what they're looking for, be it a job or a relationship, Tosha Silver, her book, Outrageous Openness, there's this one line that the perfect job is already picked and on its way to you. And you could even add imperfect timing or the perfect partner is already picked and on its way in perfect timing. And I find that thought, just like what you coach clients on, so reassuring that it's not a question of if you're going to find that career homecoming, but when. And sticking with it long enough, no matter what you need to do to kind of bridge that time in between to see that through and just having faith that it does exist. And, And you and I can say on the other side of the coin, we see so many people find that resonant work that it is possible, but it's not always on the timeline that people expect. Right. And I think that, you know, something that you and I have is just longevity of seeing this happen for other people. I just have so much proof and evidence that this is true. And that if you, you know, you know what you're after and you know the value of that and you, you stick with it, that it, it works out, you know? And again, like sometimes the timing is a bummer (laughs) and I wish it would happen a little more quickly, but, um, you just start to see like the, the people who, get frustrated and, and, and quit or move on. And, you know, I mean, you're allowed to pivot. People can change their mind. There's no problem with that. But, um, 
you know, I just, I, I kind of think like, what's the alternative, you know, what is the alternative to being hopeful and determined? I mean, ugh. I mean, what, right. what do we, what do we do with that dream? What do we do with that drive? I just, I'd rather go for it, even if it takes a while. And I also, I used to remind myself this when I was single, that because I was single for a long time where I didn't have a, a, a like, committed relationship. And I used to remind myself that I would kick myself if I had spent all those single years just in agony, feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough. Life is miserable. And I'd be so mad if the day I found my partner, I would then look back and think, what a waste of my life force, you know? So I would kind of project myself into the future and say, by the time I meet someone, and I'm married now a year in, by the time I meet someone, it will be perfect timing. And I will want to look back on who I was and how I spent my time leading up to it as joyful and easeful and not in a constant state of fear, worry, anxiety, pining, you know, any of those things that I had, of course, experienced earlier in my life. Right. And, you know, probably easier to fall in love with you, at least the right person when you are joyful and on your own path and doing (laughs) your own thing. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's attractive. Right. Same for job seekers. Yeah. Since Pivot launched in 2016, I've had this side Evernote folder where I clip notes, uh, articles about retirement. So I do think we need a new word for retirement. There are so many pivoters that I meet who are maybe retiring in quotes from their main career that they had. But just because they turned 65 doesn't mean they don't want to work anymore. And I'm very fascinated by kind of career pivots that happen at that age and stage. And I know you've given a lot of thought as well to ageism. And I hear from clients more and more that they say as they're going for jobs, maybe particularly on the coasts or in the tech industry where they they say to me straight up, I am experiencing ageism. Like I feel it. I see it in who's in the offices. It's uncomfortable. And I, they have such a sense that they're kind of legitimately being passed up for opportunities um, or being told, oh, we, we're looking for digital natives, things like this. And I've never, I haven't talked about it yet on the podcast. And shout out to Mark Ross, who I know is doing a lot of work in this area too. He's a listener. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on ageism. And of course, some part of this could be somebody's internal story, like maybe they're assuming that it's ageism when it isn't always. But I also do think there is a very real phenomenon that's happening, especially in certain industries. So I'm curious to hear your take on this. Yeah, no, I think ageism is real. I mean, just like all the isms, all the isms um, are real. You know, what I try to work on with clients, and I'm less on the forefront of the job search strategy, right? Most of the work I'm doing is about the discovery process of what do you want? What do you even want to do? Why does this matter to you? What are you going to go pursue? But, you know, what, what I'm always working with clients on is there are external boundaries and prejudices in the world that as individuals, we're not going to solve. I can't erase ageism for you, right? So let's do everything we can to remove the internal barriers. So any mental garbage you have about how you're going to be perceived, what the limitations are for you, let's do our best to get that out of the way and again, build that resilience. So if you do, you know, encounter ageism, ageism or sexism or racism or whatever out there, um, you're not going to take it personally. You're not going to crumple. You're not going to quit. 
And again, like it's frustrating and it's not fair, but it's real. So what can we do to prepare you to go out and persevere anyway? I'm so glad you mentioned the stage that you focus on, which is that discovery. And I'm curious, of course, to hear about why you shouldn't pursue passions and go for purpose instead. But also, I know you talk and think a lot about the identity shift that accompanies career homecomings. And I think it's particularly pronounced when someone's identity has been tied up with let's say the company they work for, like mine was, I was so afraid when I left Google, people wouldn't even want to be my friend. If I didn't work there, I would be of no value to them. I would not be an interesting person. And I was genuinely concerned about that. And that's when I only when I realized only when I was leaving when I realized how tied up my identity was with the halo of the brand at that time. So can you address that piece, the identity shift and the passion versus purpose? Yeah. So in terms of the identity shift, I mean, this is something that I really struggled with, you know, making the decision to leave acting. It didn't feel like I was just leaving a profession. It felt like I was leaving a life. You know, I mean, for me, it was not just what will people think of me, although that was certainly part of it. But, you know, acting, it was it was my passion. It's how I had made most of my friendships. Um, it's how I met my husband. It, you know, it was the way I made money. I think I derived a lot of, um, you know, personal sense of, of value from that. And then the thought of, you know, okay, well, I'm going to leave acting. It didn't feel like, well, what am I going to do next? It felt like, who will I be? You know, this has been such a, a big part of my identity since I was a child you know, if I don't do this anymore, it's not just what job is next, although that's an enormous, terrifying question, but who am I going to be without this? And I see a lot of people go through, especially I think if you've done something either creative and artistic, or if you've been on a prestige track, maybe with mm, a very well-known company, right? (laughs) Where you feel like there's a certain amount of cachet with being involved and being associated with that level of, you know, innovation and creativity and all of that. Um, and so I think part of the part of the work of of having a homecoming in your career is just that idea of first coming back to a home within yourself. You know, fundamentally, who am I? You know, and and that we as people are not defined by what we get up and and go do from nine to five. You know, there's more to all of us than that. And if if there was some disaster or you were involved in some horrible accident and you, you literally couldn't work anymore. That's just off the table for you. You know, what is your value as a human being? Who are you? If we, if we strip away the context of work and I think coming from that starting place is like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm still, I'm still a valuable human being. I'm still a good friend. I'm still a contributor. I'm still a creative person. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still able to come up with ideas and counsel people or whatever your thing is. Um, but I think just being able to take off that jacket, like the work jacket, like just take that off and think about who we are as people. Um, I imagine there was some of that going on with you as you made your pivot. Well, I love how you just described it as taking off the work jacket, because there's so many layers to that question. Who are you? If you couldn't, if you couldn't work anymore or you couldn't work again or for a period of time, who are you? And what's your gift to the world by your presence alone? And my journey 
has been grappling so much with that. Even in my, especially in my twenties, I would say I just associated my work was my worth, whether it was where I worked, what I earned, or even my side hustle, even being an author, launching books, do having a blog. And I didn't, I did not even grasp the full extent to which I associate my identity with my my work, my output, what I do until I met Michael, my husband, and he's Lebanese. So in Lebanese culture, it's all about relationships, family and community. If you go to a social event, nobody, the first question is most certainly not what do you do, nor is your value as a person defined by that. People are so much more about your heart. Like it's a very loving culture, warm, loving, uh, welcoming. So it's like, the light in your eyes, the the quality of your heart, who are you being? That's how my experience of, of being in Lebanon, it has been that way. Whereas here in the States, it's like, you are what you do. Yeah. Where do you work? It's what we do all day. It's what we obsess about. Like the quote, American dream is, it's, I, I even looked it up the other day. It's like the ability to pursue our best work, you know, <laughs> and, and earn healthy rewards for doing so. And it just, it has nothing to do with being the American dream. It's about achieving yeah. and owning. Yeah. We are little achievement bots here. Um, yes. And, and we so don't even realize it, I think, compared with other cultures. And I know mm-hmm. some Pivot podcast listeners, many are not in the U.S., but we don't even realize, I think those of us who are US based, we're in the water. We don't even see the extent to which our identity is tied up in ways that other cultures are not. Well, and I think culturally we have this nobility around struggle. Mm. You know, like, ooh, I got, I'm gonna do it the hard way. I'm gonna work the hardest. I'm gonna overcome the most stuff. I'm gonna have the biggest, you know, transformation from having it rough to doing really well. And one thing that I'm like shaking my clients to beat out of their heads is this idea that you get moral brownie points for doing things the hard way. Mm. You know, like, what if, what if, what if your work wasn't a struggle? Or a hustle or a grind. You know, that's not to say that you don't have to show up and participate, you know, like it's, there should be effort involved. Like I I always want people to do work that is going to challenge them to stretch beyond what they thought they were capable of. That's exciting. But you know, why does it have to, like, why does it have to be so hard? Why do we feel like it's, it doesn't count unless we bled and sweat for it? You know, I just, ugh. It's very, I call this, this whole thing, I call it the boomer blueprint, this idea that, you know, we've got to work hard and that's his own reward. And you just wait until retirement before you can enjoy your life. And, you know, the harder, the better, and you just pick one thing and stick with it. And it's just, it's exhausting. Well, pivot listeners know my motto, let it be easy, let it be fun. And nothing has taught me the lesson you just described more than entrepreneurship, because there's no reward for hard work. Things don't succeed simply because you work hard or you stress yourself out or you work long hours. That doesn't 
guarantee anything, actually. And I'm sure you've experienced this too in your business that just because you work hard, you're not entitled to anything. Whereas even in a corporate environment, if you're, if you're seen and perceived as working hard, maybe you'll get good feedback. You might even get promoted, but in the business sense, it just doesn't work like that. So that was a, that was a reality check. I know when I started my business, I did, I had this mentality, like if I, the harder I work, the more money I will make. And it is absolutely not true. (laughs) It is not true. Like I would, you know, just labor over creating some new thing. And it would just, you know, launch to crickets. And I would be just devastated that I put like, but I worked hard. So right. why isn't it paying off? And, you know, a lot of times, like my business is so streamlined now, I'm always like trying to find the edge of what's the least I can do to create the most impact. Um, because it's not that I, I just want to be like sitting around eating bonbons all day. That's not, you know, invigorating to me. But I'm, I'm trying to find the spot of, you know, what, what is going to be the most effective way to like still having pleasure and joy and, and playfulness in it, but like, what is really going to move the needle? What's going to make a difference in the business? What's going to make a difference for clients? And it's, it's not just working harder and, right. and doing things with the most struggle. Absolutely. And what about the pitfalls of passion? Yeah. Okay. So disclaimer, if, if you're listening and you have followed your passion and it's working out for you, good. So just like, keep doing whatever is working. I'm all about, let's do what works. You know, I got into acting because it was my passion that worked for me for like a decade. It was amazing. And then it wasn't. And so, you know, I, I really am speaking to the people for whom that hasn't worked and it's not going to work. You know, the, the whole follow your passion. I really think of it as a backlash to that boomer blueprint, you know, follow your passion is all about, um, just play, do what is rewarding for you, you know, do what's exciting for you. Um, if you love it enough, the money will come, um, you know, just as long as you're happy, that's what matters. And again, if that is working for you, keep going, you know, it, it assumes one that you have a passion and a lot of people just don't, they don't have one thing that they're like, Oh, I'm going to make my entire work around this one passion. Um, it assumes that it's possible to monetize your passion, which is not always. And it also assumes that the activity you're engaged in is what really matters when it comes to doing meaningful work. Right? So I'm always shifting towards let's orient instead of around passion, because even if you're doing something you're passionate about, let's say that you are, you know, a musician and great, you, you're going to follow your passion and you're going to, you know, play your violin. Um, let's say you, you know, if you don't have an audience for that, if you don't have a feedback loop for that, if you're not in relationship with anyone, like how many hours are you going to sit in an empty room and play violin before it starts to feel empty? Like at some point you want it to affect someone or to interact, or there needs to be this give and take. And so I'm, I'm always having clients instead of passion, start with a sense of purpose, just because I think it's more sticky and it's more practical. So with a sense of purpose, we're looking at things like, okay, how do I want to contribute? What kind of difference do I want to make? How do I want to interact with people? What impact, you know, do I want my work to have? And yeah, we're going to look at your strengths and abilities. And if playing the violin is part of that, well, then let's, you know, we'll consider that. But um, it's just such a purpose is about relationship and connection to others. And passion is generally about your own experience of an activity. And it's just very different ways to very different starting points in terms of career. I have never heard those two such common career words put that way. 
that passion is your experience of an activity and purpose is oriented more about others. Wow. Love it. I'm having my Oprah. Oh, aha moment. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I even talk in, in pivot about project-based purpose and taking the pressure off of having to define even a life purpose, which can be so lofty and, and intimidating as well. And, and I say, and if you don't have a purpose, you can borrow mine, which is to be as helpful as possible to as many people as possible. And it doesn't even have to be all about the numbers or quantity, but just as many people who are in my orbit, who I interact with day to day, that's it. Just show up with positivity and helpfulness and that's it. And I I never really know exactly what form that's going to take, but that's been a long time guiding light for me. And true to your definition of the terms, that one really is about other people. And I had never thought of it that way. Well, and I love how you're, you're saying, let's take the pressure off that we have to find this life purpose. You know, I tell clients, what we're not trying to figure out is what is your, you know, predestined one ring to rule them all capital P life purpose. Like personally, I just, I don't believe in that, but professionally in terms of career stuff, like so much pressure, I have to decide today what the guiding force of my entire existence is. And then find a job that like too much. So I'm always trying to make it smaller and more grounded with the, you know, with the realization too, that our sense of purpose changes over time and that's normal and that should be happening. You know, what I was deeply, you know, cared about and was fired up about at age 16, I'm 40 now is not exactly the same. I mean, there are some through lines and there's some continuity, but, um, you know, what job I might have picked right out of college may not speak to me today at this stage of my life. So allowing ourselves to, to not be locked in like so many people, I feel like they want their, I need to find my why, like my capital W Y I need to have like this tagline or this, this one liner that kind of encompasses what I'm all about. And I just like, you're not a brand. You (laughs) need a slogan. Like let's figure out what you connect to, what matters to you and go from there without the pressure of finding the one thing. And that pressure to be a brand and CEO of you Inc is more, there's more of it now than ever. I know. I see that, that a lot, especially like, you know, in Instagram kind of places where it's like, you are your brand with all due respect. I am not my brand. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm a person and I, I'm, I have faults and quirks and weirdness and like stuff that people in my personal life, um, are going to get exposed to that people like through my brand aren't just because I don't feel like it's appropriate. That doesn't mean I can't be human or I can't bring myself to it. But if I'm here to serve, you don't need, you don't have to know what I eat for breakfast. You don't have to know what book I'm reading to my kid at night. I mean, I can share those things with you, but my work is like, it's an extension of who I am, but it's not the entirety of who I am. And I don't feel like I need to have every relationship and moment of my life be like a teachable moment that I can share, you know, like I, you don't get all of me, you know, like I have my own private and personal life. And I think, I think it's healthy to have some of those boundaries. I am smiling so big over here and laughing, cracking up because I gave almost the exact same, I call it a rant, which is what I did (laughs) on my friend Ksenia's podcast. We recorded yesterday. It's called Woke and Wired. I don't know if it will be out yet on her show, but I ranted about Instagram and why 
I, and I, even why I pivoted off of JennyBlake.me and over to pivotmethod.com because exactly what you just said, and this goes to show we are truly kindred spirits <laughs> because I just said, I don't feel good when I sign off of social media after I've been scrolling infinite scroll. I don't feel better than when I started. It distracts my focus. It, it gives me this piecemeal feeling throughout the day. It's not where I do my big ideas or my deep work. I don't like the feeling of guilt and obligation of responding to comments every time I post one thing. Great. Now I created, you know, 20 more, even if they're so nice. But most of all, I don't want to be judged or followed or anything because of how I look, how I dress, what I ate for breakfast, even what my bookshelves look like. I mean, I have posted those on my account. I, I post on Instagram maybe like twice a year. <laughs> um, and I would just, I'm with you. I like having some distance, not to be, not to hide anything. Anyone who has attended anything I do live knows I'm a complete open book, but I don't want to build a brand around my image. I prefer for it to be around my ideas. And if I share aspects of my personal life, that's cool, but not, not how I'm going to create value. It's not for me. So I'm with you. Yeah. And personally, like I, I get burned out real fast. I'm feeling like I have to document my life experience. Um, and again, I think this is like, go do what works for you. You know, if you are rocking out Instagram and love it, then keep going. But right. you know, I don't want to come up with a life lesson every time I go to the park <laughs> with my child. Like I just want to be at the park with my child, you know, I, I don't know. Want to, like, reinvent these little Kodak moments, you know, because like, Oh, we didn't catch it on camera. Like, I just, I just want to go to the park. You know? I'm, I'm I, the same way. Um, and I, I mean, I think business wise on, like, if I'm being honest, if I felt it would make a tremendous difference in my business, I would probably do it more often. I think too, like when it comes to my business and the work I do, the metric that I care most about is lives changed right? I want to be doing deep, substantial, lasting work with clients. And if it's not helping me do that, it doesn't get that much of my attention. And honestly, if I thought Instagram would allow me to do that more then I probably on Instagram more, but so far it's just not been a necessity. So I, I think, um, you know, social media, especially Instagram for me, I feel like I do like it. I mean, I like to get on and scroll and like, I follow famous pets and me you know, too. Oh, not famous ones. And, I, I just follow you know, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, I like Instagram kind of like, I like, um, like a cinnamon roll, like it's delicious at first and I like it every now and then, but like, I don't want to sit down and eat a can of cinnamon rolls every day. <laughs> that's how it starts to make me feel. Oh, that's so funny. I love the cinnamon roll analogy. Yeah. The thing I love doing on Instagram, I follow puppies, dogs, um, piglets, little piggies, <laughs> um, rabbits, that's how I like to, that's what I like to look at. I don't even follow quote cards or anything. And I get annoyed when it, the algorithm, like I accidentally tap on too many people's posts, maybe in my network. And then they start showing me the people and I'm sorry, I love you all, but just not, it's not what I go to. It's not my cinnamon roll. My cinnamon roll are these cute little animals. Oh, there's um, a raccoon that's more famous than me. I'm in, I'm on board. I'm following. I yeah. know. And my experience was similar in that I don't like walking around the world. It really uh, stopped me from being present because I would be experiencing something and then thinking, well, why don't I take a photo of this or, or how can I share it? Or what will I, just like you, what will I write? And I realized like, I just don't want that extra 
filter to use an Instagram term <laughs> on my experience of the world day to day. And yeah, I'm it's I think I do rant about this a lot and maybe pivot listeners are really sick of hearing <laughs> me talk about it, but I feel that it's important because it's again, the, the idea of career homecoming, whether you're working in an organization or working for yourself, is that permission to just say, be honest, this doesn't work for me, even if it seems to be working for so many other people. And there are absolutely influencers who are creating incredible opportunities and income for themselves by doing exactly what we're saying we don't enjoy doing. But that just goes to show that there's room for all of us. Exactly. There's more than one way, you know, and I think, you know, in a true homecoming, you're paying attention to what, you know, maybe how successful and effective something is for you, but also just how it feels, you know, um, and it just doesn't feel that good for me. (laughs) Even your bad noise. We have the same (laughs) one. Another interesting thing you've said is you've talked about is why you shouldn't necessarily take a break to figure yourself out as a lot of people are inclined to do when they're pivoting. What's your take on that? When does when does it make sense to step back and take a break and dive into oneself? And and what's the flip side of that? I mean, I love taking taking a pause, you know, and, and taking a break and and doing a deep dive in, into yourself. But the problem that I see people run up against is that when they are trying to figure out, okay, if I don't want to do this job I'm doing, I got to figure out what comes next. They don't, they don't have the tools, the strategy, a process to figure it out. And so what they're doing is like this personal development quest where maybe they're journaling a lot. Maybe they're reading self-help books. Maybe they get really into tarot. Maybe they go see a therapist. Um, maybe they're doing strength assessment kinds of things. They end up with information about themselves and they have all this self-knowledge and maybe they're a more evolved person, which is always good but they still don't know what do I want to go do? You know, they don't know how to answer that question. Like they know that they're a people person or they're an introvert or, you know, connection and community are their strength, but like, then what? Like they they don't know how to bridge that gap between all this personal development work and how to apply that to a career. So I've just, you know, I've had clients who have come to work with me. They're like, I gotta, it's just time. I just need time. And so they take six months off or they take 12 months off and they don't, they still don't know what they want to do. And so now they still don't know what they want to do, but they have lost six or 12 months of income. And now they're really feeling the pressure of like, Oh crap. Now I really got to know what I want to do. But I've taken this time off. I'm not any closer. I'm almost more confused than I started because I have all this information, but I don't know what to do with it. And so that's kind of the, the danger and the red flag about that. You know, I mean, I think it's always great to learn more about yourself and, and do personal development stuff, but it's, you've got to know how to bridge the gap between fun facts about yourself. And then what does that mean for your career? Mm-hmm. Speaking of these big questions, we are turning the corner into a new decade. Dun, 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 dun. No pressure, everybody, you know, um, <laughs> but I'd love to know what are one or two of your favorite exercises when it comes to helping people find that homecoming feeling? Mm. Okay. It's hard to boil that down to one or two exercises. Jenny, Give me your I whole guess, body of work, Laura, right um, now. <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess like my all, a go-to starting place that I use for myself that, that I have clients do is just, I love the, a blank sheet of paper and at the top, 
simple question, what matters most? And then just write, you know, and the, the only trick with this exercise is you have to be honest. <laughs> the only trick. So, you know, what comes out may be about quality of life stuff. It may be about mission and purpose. It may be about, um, the environment that you're going to be in or the kind of people that you want to work with. Um, it may be about your health or, or something that feels, you know, a little bit in the sidecar, but, um, I'm always trying to get people to come back to what is most important, you know, and again, that's going to shift over different periods of time in your life, but I'm just kind of grounding it in now in this moment, what matters most. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's such a great, I love you said, even about the state of your business these days, that it's you, I, I think you use the word simple, like talk, just distilling something down to the essence. And that's such an amazing question to do that. What matters most? It keeps me out of busy work. You know, I will do that for myself quite often if I'm looking at my to-do list and I'm like, Oh, there's no way I'm going to do all this today. I'm like, well, I probably don't have to. What, you know, what actually matters most in terms of accomplishing things today. And then there's like three things on my to-do list and that's a doable day. Um, so I'll use that just like in terms of paring down my to-do list, I will do that, you know, kind of end of year, beginning of year planning. That's, that's my go-to. How's your, what does your planning look like? So as we enter 2020, what's your preferred way to think about the year? So my birthday is January 1st. Wow. So I always almost feel birthday. like I have this reset, you know, along with the, along with the rest of the world, just in terms of my birthday. So what I love to do is, I mean, I'm kind of percolating and, and thinking about business stuff and personal stuff, but usually on the 31st, um, what I like to do is just like hole up by myself for several hours, like with the candle and the tea and the, you know, all that stuff, um, and just have time to write you know, and sometimes I'll find prompts, you know, from somebody on the internet or a book or something. But a lot of times it's just me and blank sheets of paper, just kind of doing an inventory of what just happened in the the last year. Like what, what just happened personally, professionally, um, you know, just kind of looking back and taking stock and then, and taking some time to, before I even do any goal setting, really thinking about, you know, just what is that vision I want? What is the, what is the feeling? What do I want to um, be able to experience in the next year. And from there, I'll tend to maybe on another day, go back through and kind of set more, you know, goals that have numbers and, and things like that. But, um, I really just like to have time to think about what just happened and, you know, what do I want to be different in the next year? And it's, it's really not more structured than that. It's a little different from year to year, but that's kind of my, my new year birthday ritual. And birthdays are such a powerful time of renewal as well. Like it has always felt like my own personal new year. So fascinating that yours is right at the same time. And you're a Capricorn, huh? Indeed. (laughs) Aren't Capricorns known for like just being really diligent and, and able to just put their heads down and work, get things done. Like you probably enjoy working to some extent. I do. I'm, I'm a double whammy cause I'm also a firstborn. So I've got like firstborn Capricorn. <laughs> yeah. You know, I read that Shonda, Shonda rhymes of Grey's Anatomy and all the rest of her shows that she's a Capricorn. And, and now that's who I associate like, yep, there it is. Just that incredible ability to just focus and create things. So cool. 
Amazing. Well, Laura, this has been so fun. I'm really thrilled that we got to connect after all this time. And and it's so clear to me now, having had this conversation, how much we really do have in common. I think we've, we've known that about each other for a really long time. Jenny, I would say I'll see you on yeah. Instagram, but I know I won't. Oh, exactly. So. <laughs> I won't see you there. <laughs> Talk to you on our next podcast, whatever that Sounds may be. <laughs> That's so funny. So even if not on Instagram, where can people find you if they want to learn more and keep in touch? Yeah, I'm at yourcareerhomecoming.com. Um, and, you know, occasionally I will pop on social media, you know, so so come along. But, um, you know, the best way to really connect is to just kind of get a little bit deeper into my world. You know, I've got a Facebook group. I've got a nice free training. So just, you know, come let yourself in and um, we'll connect. And if you do want to follow Laura's, whenever they may be posts on Instagram, it's at yourcareerhomecoming. Correct. Is that right? Okay. Cool. Laura, thank you so much. This has been such a delight. And I look forward to keeping in touch and hopefully many listeners as well. Thank you again yeah. for being here. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List, a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always?